This episode of Shop Talk Live is brought to you by FineWoodworking.com, your go-to source for woodworking expertise. Join to get exclusive access to thousands of articles and videos. Membership is a low price of $4.99 per month or $34.95 for the whole year. Print subscribers pay just $14.95 per year. Welcome to Shop Talk Live, Fine Woodworking's bi-weekly podcast. I'm your host, Tom McKenna, and with me this week are Mike Pekovich. Hey, guys. And ben Strano. Hello. And behind the camera, as always, is Jeff Rose. Hey, everybody. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> let's Hi, everybody. <laughs> let's jump right to the, the big cues. Um, this one comes from Chris, and Chris says, I'm designing a trestle table. I'm hung up on how to attach the top to the leg battens in a way that allows for wood movement and keeps any fasteners used hidden. The table will be used to serve communion, and since it will be on an elevated platform, the underside will be visible. Any ideas? I want to apologize to Chris, because <laughs> I'm sure he's built like four tables since he sent this in. A little old, a little <laughs> this, long in the tooth. This question kept getting bumped. Well, maybe uh, we should maybe we should call him number five. <laughs> getting bumped. We should call him and find out what he did. Yeah, <laughs> that might be the answer. Right, and let's know what you actually did. Pause <laughs> this, Chris, and then let us know what you did. Well, assuming maybe he's still waiting on an answer, <laughs> right. I think there are some um, answers to this specific question. But maybe you're asking the wrong question here. The assumption is that any fastener is going to look ugly. The other way you can go about it is how can I, f- because I can see the bottom, which is kind of a cool thing. It's a part of the table that you yeah. never see, which is why yeah. you put ugly fasteners underneath the table. So maybe think of it more in terms of what can I f- kind of fastener can I use that looks really cool because this is one instance where you actually get to see it. That mm-hmm. is... Just blew your mind. Yeah, yeah pretty All much. Right. And with that, I'd probably go to like an Andrew Hunter article who... Did a whole article on attaching tabletops with dovetailed oh, battens. Yeah. That was very cool. So that would be kind of neat. But back to the original question, if you want to hide it, um, I just did this, and it's it's not a new thing. I had seen other people do it as well. I built uh, the tabletop for a little sewing table I made recently in two halves, and I attached a dovetail cleat to the top of the little stretchers and I routed dovetail slots in each half, bring them together on top of the cleat, boom, you don't see anything. But then you don't see anything. I mean, what's... Yeah, you want to see it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it is an opportunity, I guess, to, you know, maybe get some blacksmith-made hardware or something like that, but... Blacksmith. Yeah. I don't... Um, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always plugs. You can... Plug yeah, but man, if you see a plug, yeah, it's like plug you're not supposed more. to see it. It's more jarring. Really look. Okay, this it's this visible, comes to man. my next point, which is <laughs> I'm revealing maybe too much about myself, but when I'm in services of any sort, my mind is wandering big time. <laughs> I'm looking at plugs, <laughs> and if there's any woodworking to be had whatsoever, I am scoping that out, and I'm going to see a plug. And yeah. it's just going to ruin my day. So uh, you know yeah. what? I actually, okay. <laughs> I remember as a child the, in the church pew in front of us, they had the little uh, pillowed plugs. You know that that yeah. you actually. I, I used to did pop you, them. Did out. you pop them? <laughs> I, I popped them too. <laughs> so uh, you guys are going to hell. <laughs> too late. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, one thing I was just thinking about, and I and I don't know if it's doable, but for this type of table, if he if he didn't, he could probably even just get away without using any fast turns. I was what I did for my cabinet on stand. I didn't screw it to the base. I had dowels that I that I put into the frame, and I just plopped the cabinet on top of that. If you were to do something like this, and maybe slot. Um, I don't know how you'd allow for, for wood movement. You'd have to slot one of the holes a little bit, but it would hide the fasteners. But then it's not going to hold it. I, I mean, if he's using it, the battens uh, to keep from bowing, oh, true. That, true. That's not going to hold it down. But it's an interesting one. The leg battens. Maybe, maybe, maybe we kept avoiding this one on purpose. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I, I, I think your, your initial, I think, yeah, if you're going to go, yeah. I think Mike's advice, go, you know, go visual and try, try to do something creative on the bottom. And it seems pretty smart. And Andrew Hunter's article was pretty clear the, the technique, the way he presented it, it didn't look that hard. <laughs> For Andrew Hunter. For Andrew Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I mean. <laughs> Maybe call Andrew and uh, have him build a table for you. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to question two. And by the way, yeah, Chris, if you did figure it out, yeah, let, let us know. know. <laughs> um, this one comes from John. And John writes, I'd love to be able to take a real set of in-person, in-person classes, both because it would be great fun and because it's the best way for me to learn. Unfortunately, I have to travel often for work and usually with little notice. So it's pretty hard to commit to a day or a week of that for that sort of thing. Can you recommend any good resources to build fundamental woodworking skills through thought-out progression of exercises and or projects, but without having to commit to a real-life class? Woodworking.com. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no, I mean, our, our video workshops are, are great for, um, I think, folks like John who don't have, you know, a week to commit to a class. They can just sit on a plane and watch uh, an episode or two or, or more of, uh, we have techniques classes. Mike did a, a great workshop on um, hand tool skills and hand, tuning plane. hand, hand planes um, and tuning them up. And we've got a bunch of different project videos that illustrate different skills. So that's that's one way. I, I mean, I think I would look into... Um I mean, you got to be able to set aside a weekend or something, right? I, you, you have to be I, able to practice somewhere. Yeah, but the, I mean, I took—I've only taken two woodworking classes. One was the design class with Mike, and that was a design class. It wasn't a whole lot of woodworking, but um, there was something great about setting aside an entire weekend and doing nothing but that. And yeah, the same for, for for the week. And it's like if it's a priority, I guess. You have to try and, I don't know if you can take vacation time or whatever. I don't know. Um, I understand how he couldn't take like a every Tuesday night thing. Yeah. That would be. A weekend. Yeah, I I agree. A weekend would be a, you know, looking at like a weekend type class. Um, I remember I took a hand tool class with Phil Lowe at the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship. And it was a great week. It was, you know, five days of just being in the shop and learning about stuff. So there's nothing, to me, there's nothing better than that experience if you can do it. But if you can spread it out over the weekends, I think it's a good option. Who mentioned, when you guys mentioned tracking down a local guild or something? Yeah, I I talked about that. That's a really good, if if there's a guild in your area, join it and it's a good way to 
you know, these guys often have Q&A sessions or they talk about problems that they're having and there's bound to be a master woodworker in that guild who can offer some, some guidance or yeah, some skill. Yeah, at the very building. least, there's a woodworker better than you. Yeah, so, so that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. A little safety net where if you jump yeah. into something, it's a little over your head. Hey, can you come over and take a look at this? That's a really great yeah. sort of resource to have. And yeah. guilds a lot of times have demonstrations and the meetings and things like that. And for me, the biggest thing, the biggest eye-opening thing was actually using a, a, a hand plan that was set up properly. That's a huge thing. You know, and <clears throat> you can't get that elsewhere other than in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like at a guild meeting, if if there was somebody there who was demonstrating hand planning and you could go and just push a couple shavings out of that hand plane and know, yeah. okay, this is this is my goal. This is my 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 mark. Well, um, here's another thing. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of traveling woodworking type shows these days. I mean, there is the woodworking shows, mm-hmm. which I think they're primarily kind of on the eastern side of the United States. But uh, Lee Nielsen does these traveling mm-hmm. hand yeah. tool shows, and they're on the West Coast. I think they were just in England for um, – I can't remember what the name of that hand, hand tool yeah. event in England is, but – um, they the have British they have experts there, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where you can go and feel like what a hand plane is supposed to or feel like when yeah. it's all tuned up. And yeah, they often have classes and seminars and different experts there for Q and A sessions. So that's another option. It's just you know you got to get it when you can. The uh, another thought too is going back to the video workshop idea is something like Matt Wada's. Uh, toolbox, the North Bennett Street toolbox. It's like that is a specific project. That that project is set up specifically to teach you a set of fundamental skills. Yes, through a project. Right. Um, there's a reason why it is such a daunting project because there are so many types of joinery involved, so many different disciplines involved in it. But you laid it out in like two thousand episodes. It's <laughs> it's, it's all so. nicely broken down. <laughs> it's, it's broken. <laughs> into an easy 412 hours of video. <laughs> it's only like seven or eight well, or something. Well, maybe John is traveling to China sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. Anyway, um, okay, are we done? I mean, not with the podcast, with the question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the one thing about, one thing good is if you can work with someone. You mentioned uh, picking up a tool which is in tuned up and sharp and ready to use so you know what a, a good tool does. The second thing, I think, if you can work with someone, um, when I'm teaching, I realize really early that there's only so much I could communicate standing in front of people demonstrating. Because it's like, okay, that's how it's done right, good. Now go back to your bench. And then it's really not until you pick up a tool and you try it out and things start to happen yeah. That's where I can really offer my best advice because it's like, oh, okay, here, try this instead. And then to have that reference of doing it not the right way, but then try it this way and then it works. I think that that one-on-one ability to work with someone goes a long way. Yeah, and, 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 and I was just going to mention something along those lines because there's a lot more, you know, I'm kind of focusing on hand tools, but there's a lot more than getting the blade sharp. I mean, the whole setup of a, of a smoothing plane, you know, it's this step-by-step process and then you've got to take a shave and then figure out, okay, it's not right. What's mm-hmm. the next step? You know, what do right. I, what how do, do, I, I do? How do I fix it? You know, and so that took me a long time to figure out and the, the truth is I learned a lot from 
being on the job and going to visit Chris Gochner and I worked with him on a few hand tool or hand plane articles and you know he did a great fundamentals on hand plane setup and <clears throat> he had this really cool um, at the end of it, I think Mike came up with the idea, but we came up with a troubleshooting guide. So, hey, this is happening, do this. This is happening, do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just learning that is, you know, it's a huge step in, in building skills. But, I mean, just being around someone else woodworking, you're yeah. going to learn something. Right. Yep. And you that's know? the benefit, like getting back to what kind of time, what Mike was saying is having access to a person, you know, that could, you know, you've got it sharp okay, now I'm taking the hand plane and having that person say, okay, this is what's happening. Here, here's kind of the physics behind it. And here's how you, here's what to adjust and how to do it. But it doesn't have to be Chris Gochner. No. It could be just somebody who's <clears throat> put a hundred hours in behind a hand plane, not 10,000. Yeah. But the, you, but you're going to like, you know, Barry and I are, are our new associate editor. Him and I are down in the shop all the time together and we're both, Learning, you know, we're both. No, figuring you're stuff not. Out. You're writing pallet jacks. <laughs> <laughs> you posted it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that too. But I mean, no, but it's it's. Hey, you know what? I saw. You know, I'm struggling with this, and we're working together and figuring things out, and it's great because you know we talk to you guys at lunch and stuff like that. But just being in person around somebody else, working through problems and figuring things out, is is valid as well oh yeah, yeah. you know yeah. i mean we often think of this as it is a solitary for the most part craft but um it is cool to have like-minded folks around to bounce ideas and yeah. problems yeah. off yeah i mean to your point ben on one hand woodworking is ultimately it's an exercise in creative problem solving i mean there's going to be mm -hmm. things you just got to kind of figure out there's not enough information you can input into your brain to be able to tackle any problem without scratching your head just a little bit yeah and and also limited by <clears throat> by your tool set sure mm -hmm. um the one thing where the video series are really good and it's a little bit counter to your point is that there's a individual skills which you need to learn you got to get sharp learn your hand tools learn how to use a table saw rip and cross cut but then there's sort of like the big picture the overarching concept of how you get from a lumber to a finished piece of mm -hmm. furniture, those building strategies, and watching Tim Rousseau build a little nightstand with a door and a drawer, or Steve Latta go about doing stringing and banding, these guys are brilliant in terms of their engineering minds, in terms of looking at a somewhat complex thing and breaking it down into really simple steps. Mm -hmm. And they, those steps may seem arbitrary or unrelated in and, in and of themselves, but if you can sort of get a sense of the big picture of how they fit into that scheme, that's a tremendous, I think that's a, the next level of woodworking when you get to that point. You kind of stop stumbling from, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? Oh, I should have done that back then, but now I've already done this. How do I, you know, instead of like getting over, always sort of tackling problems that you sort of created for yourself, um, you start to be yeah. able to create, you know, um, processes and workflows that kind of do away with those problems to begin with. And I'm yeah. not sure if that's second or third level, but that's know. what that's what you get when from watching Matt Way to go about making something yeah. or Steve and, Ladder. And that's why those that's why those guys teach. Yes, you know, and and it's funny as you as I mean from my experience, as I do more more and more uh, furniture making and just woodworking in general, I 
the more experience I have, the more I can see two steps ahead, you know, like yeah. what I'm doing now. Okay. What do I, what do I have to do next? So I'm not screwing up anything in, in terms of like when it comes time to assembly, you know, I'm not, I don't want to work myself into a, into a corner. And like in that, I used to watch 300 hours of video to before I and now you're making them. Yeah. <laughs> I literally made a career out of watching woodworking videos. Um, but I used to watch 300 hours of video about dovetailing before I picked up a saw. And that was counterproductive. It's like you got to pick up a saw. You got to you got to cut that dovetail eventually. Um so there's, it's so easy to get frozen because everything is precious. That box I'm building right now is, is, is the last box I'll ever build. And I want generations of Stranos to fight over <laughs> it, you know, 300 years. No, it's junk and it's probably in the garbage right now because I'm <laughs> capable of building a box 10 times better. And in 10 years, it, the one I built today is junk, you know? So I think it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in trying to learn things and not just go out into the shop and build something and don't be too precious about it and try your hardest and do it to the best level that you can. Sure. But be in the shop. Do yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, think about John when, when getting back to John's uh, distant point was sometimes woodworking is about self discovery. And I've done thing. I've just gone out to the shop sometimes and figured it out. Just kind of, you know, get the fundamentals and then, figure it out. Like when you're designing or building a piece, sometimes you're going to make a mistake and, you know, throw it away and start over again. So it's getting a little deep. Self-discovery. <laughs> yeah. Who am I? Who am I? I'm one plane shaving away Home. from Zen. <laughs> nope. <Home>. One more. <laughs> ah, wow, that felt great. It's like better than yoga. Um, where are we, Ben? Here we are. Segment one. <laughs> Newtown, Connecticut, Tom. Um, it is time for our all-time favorite tool of all time for this week. Who's going first? Ben. I'll go. Good. Bench grinder. Good. Next. What are you talking about? The, the two <laughs> wheels that spin around? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the spinny stone. Yep. Jam a blade in it. No. It's just, um, I've, I've been, uh, I've been, I've been experimenting with different sharpening techniques lately, mm. and yeah. uh, and the need for a hollow grind has uh, has proven to be important to me. Oh. Um, Going to like sort of a hand honing route, yeah, freehand, awesome. And I, I've I've discovered that any time I've experimented with freehand sharpening, why am I talking about it like like it's uh, <laughs> like it's drugs or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But anytime that I have freehand sharpened uh, in the past, uh, it's always just flopped. And it's, I think it was because a lack of a hollow grind. And now we've got that slow speed grinder at the shop and I, I grind the blade. It's so much easier to, to freehand sharpen that way. You rock okay. it until it sets down. Yeah. And just, yeah. just don't think about it. And yeah. that's, that's the aspect of it that I yeah. really like. But that grinder also has a nice little tool rest, right? It, yeah, it's got the Veritas. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's one of the things I, I it's funny. <laughs> I actually have gone away from hollow grinding. And I, I um, realized that in the middle of my spiel that I think I'm, I'm, 
it's really it's funny. I mean, I just you know I find that uh, a granite plate and the coarse sandpaper, and my um, I have a Veritas Mark II honing guide, and I just you know go to town on that, and it's just as fast and. Um, I think, and it's a lot more, you know, if you don't grind every day or do it frequently, it's so easy to, to burn the tip or, or get it out of square and, and using the honing guide with the granite plate, I'm perfectly square and, you know, I've got a clean primary bevel within, you know, a couple of minutes, really. It's not that, not that, uh, difficult, but so it's just funny, different strokes. Do you want a grinder? <laughs> No, I'd always keep a grinder. You never know when you'll have to reshape stuff or, or whatever. And who knows? Maybe down the road, I'd, <clears throat> I'll go back to freehanding and then I'll do the hollow grind again. But um, whatever. I, I, I've i always used the $10 honing guide. Right. And um, the Eclipse. Yes. Cha, cha, cha. <laughs> but um, it's, it's always that. just been really finicky to me. And um, it, Barry and I were talking about it this morning in the shop, and I feel like, like I've got that I've got a little issue where if if I if if that blade's gonna be twenty five degrees, I want to know it's twenty five degrees, not twenty five point two degrees. Or so mm. the moment I start thinking about angles and getting things exact, I obsess over it. And freehand sharpening to me. Um, you're not going to get it perfect. So, and you don't know what the angle is. So just, just get it sharp. What's the angle of your grind? So yeah. You need to obsess over the angle of your grind now. Yeah. Yes. That's the next step. Yes. But I Always feel like something that's, different yeah, there's, to there's, obsess there's, about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like. I've always yearned to freehand sharpen. Yearned. I always, I, I yearned for yearned. it. Yearned. Um, just because everything else just felt finicky and everything else felt like like I was about to go down a rabbit hole Hold of on. obsession. I have I have the title for the podcast, Ben Yearns. <laughs> That's not very SEO friendly, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> but so that that's that's how this is. Start, it started with my block plane blade, yeah. and now I'm on my low angle jack. But those those and, uh, those um, inexpensive honing guides, you know, they work best if you set up um, a jig. I think Mike has one with with the block, the stop blocks. Yeah, <clears throat> so, yeah, um, I've 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 got that, and my Eclipse guide is is modified. You know, yeah. actually, Bob <clears throat> gave it to me. It's been ground out and everything, so and it, it, it works. Up. It works yeah. great. It's just sitting there with a the little screwdriver. I just. It well, that never felt right to me. The so. investment that I made in the in the Veritas that the Mark II, it's to me, it's so well worth it because I, I too struggled with that with the generic or Eclipse honing guide, um, and I it was easy to get the the blade out of square when it was in or, or whatever. But this thing is almost it's almost error proof. You know the whole setup process. It's a little complex to get done, but once you're once you've got the blade in there correctly, it's perfectly square, and you know you can adjust. You know if you do a micro bevel on top of the primary bevel, or if you want to do um, adjust the settings, you can just do it with a click of the knob. It's really quite nice, but um, it is, you know, it's like I said, it's an investment. We got a little pins versus tails things going on here. No, that's that's old school shop talk. No, 
short-lived, old-school shop talk. <laughs> shop talk life, yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing, I, I came from hand honing to honing guides, and it's kind of where I live now. I don't mind busting out, you know, the hand skills and doing it. The only thing I can't do by hand that I can do fairly easily with a jig is to put a slight camber on my plain irons. Mm. That's like the only thing where I would definitely pull out a jig for that. Mm-hmm. Well, the Mark II comes with a... Uh... <laughs> a roller that allows you to camber the blade. This episode of Shop Talk Live. Shop Talk Live. Brought to you by Veritas. <laughs> Wally Wilson's on the line. <laughs> All right. How about you, Mike? What's uh, your favorite? Um, speaking of classes, um, I rarely take classes. I've taken less than a handful, not because I don't want to, but I just can't afford it. Um, however, this last weekend, I just got done teaching a. Um, a rocking chair class where there was a slip seat and I don't do that kind of upholstery. So I had asked Mike Maselli, who's a fantastic old school upholsterer to come in and teach a one day class on upholstering the cushion, which was awesome. So I got to sat, sit in on that. I made my own cushion. It's really fun. Completely different world of skills and techniques, which brings me to my, we're talking tool, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Favorite tool of all time of the week is. <laughs> a Mike Maselli class. Is a magnetic tack hammer. Those things look awesome. Yeah. It's like, I've heard of them, but it's like, eh, you know, tacks, what's with tacks? Because you pull out your stapler. No, you don't staple. You tack everything in place. And then if things aren't right, you pull out the tacks and you retack it. So the whole notion of tacking down the upholstery on a on a cushion and readjusting it is something completely foreign to me because I had my I got my electric staple gone. Yeah. I'm just like pop, 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 done, right? Yeah. Look good enough. Yeah, yeah not even <laughs> no. So um okay, so tacking, that's really cool. Old school, you got your tacks. Then you got your magnetic tack hammer. And you just go down, you spread some out on the bench, you pick up one tack with your magnetic tack hammer on the end of it and pop and you pound it in. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. So um, half of the tack hammers Mike brought with them weren't magnetic. And And you being the teacher, you grabbed one of them. Well, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm down at the level playing field with everyone else in the class. I'm just, you know, a guy here, but... You got to kind of scope out which ones were magnetic and which ones weren't. And there was some surreptitious switching of the magnetic with non-magnetic tack hammers (laughs) going on throughout the class. No one admitted it, but I would look down and all of a sudden, the nail's not sticking to my tack hammer anymore. And I'd look over and two benches down, someone's just going to town with their magnetic tack hammer. So um, this is... Can you just magnetize a tack hammer? Um, I'm, I'm sure you could. I guess I would just stick it like a rare earth magnet on the end of it for a while and, and boom, call it good. Or if you rub the magnet. I don't know. Like in elementary school? Huh. So, sure does it, 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 so it grabs the head. It doesn't grab the shank. Exactly. Right. Well, I mean, you got skills going on here. Okay. <laughs> Right. Sometimes you've got like one by the head, then like three more stuck around the side of it, and you try to tap that one in without the other three kind of falling off. You think so, they go flying yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and then to I, watch Mike do it, it's like one bang, one bang. I try, it's like seven. <laughs> oh, dang. I, they used to make a framing hammer that was kind of like that, where it was a, had a magnet on one one point you set, and then you whack. Right, there's like a in. little slot or something. Yeah, I, that you I, I, um, I tried one many, many years ago when I was building decks, and I could never 
ever get the hang of it, but my crew chief was like a whiz at it, yeah. you know. But he also was like the legendary carpenter that Fine Hope only talks about, Larry Hahn, where he could drive a, you know, a framing nail with one blow <laughs> kind of thing. It was like, whack, <laughs> I'm done, moving on. I can build a house in a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're done. But pneumatic so, so, nailer just slowed down. Yeah, really. Yeah. Magnetic so, tack hammer. Yeah, so the That's tack cool. hammer is cool, but, but really it's exactly what we we're talking about, where upholstery. You get the right person, you show them what to do. And I, this right is tools. something I've done like a number of times very poorly. And then just to have someone there's like, eh, wait a minute, just do this. And it's just like, oh, this is really cool. And now I know exactly. And it wasn't like I wasn't trying hard enough before. It's just that the way I went about it guaranteed a really bad result. You just didn't know the steps. Yeah. Well, here it you is. Didn't, yeah. you, you, didn't, you didn't have the lesson. There, and now yeah. I do. The one-on-one. Now I'm all about upholstery. Every piece of furniture. Kumiko and upholstery. Look for it in the next issue of Fine Woodworking. <laughs> Fundamentals. It's a upholstery. Kumiko couch. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, my turn. Oh, yeah, it done. is. Well. Didn't I already ruin yours? Oh, no. You've got. Ruined mine. All right. You all right? I thought I, 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 thought I stole your thunder with the homing gun. No, no. The. Um, my all-time favorite tool of all time for this week is something that I didn't expect to buy, um, but I was at uh, the Connecticut Valley School of Woodworking. Bob Van Dyke School was having an open house, and, and Mike was there, and a few of, other, of our other authors were there. And what uh, Bob does on that day, he has a, basically a big, huge... Uh, tool sale used tool big set parking lot tool yeah, set. yeah it's it's like you know the highlight well forgive me bob but it, for me it was the highlight of my day but i've been forever and, and ben is gonna he's gonna squawk but I, i've been looking for like a small set of carving gouges because i'd like to start doing some carving and I'm i but i'm such a cheapskate years now so i've only was, known you two years i was i was eyeballing you know looking for a selection there and i and mike uh, had a few minutes to to walk and we were going down the aisle and he reached into this box and he pulls this spoke shape out and he says this thing is great and i i was like you know i don't have a, a spoke shape i had a i used to have a round bottomed one yes um, you used to but now I, I have a round bottom one. <laughs> but it's not, you know, I don't do chair making, so it's not the best choice for that. But anyway, Mike pointed this out and said, this is a really cool spoke shave. It's the Stanley 53, and it was fully intact. But what's really cool about this that he, that he pointed out is when you adjust the blade in or out, there is some sort of a mechanism. I don't know how it works, but basically the throat opens and closes as you make the adjustment. That's, so if you, want, if you want a deep cut... You know, the throat opens up. So um, I bought it for 20 bucks. You know, it was in really good shape. All, is, I had to, yeah. all I had to do was flatten the sole and, you know, tune up the blade. And uh, Does that top thumb screw? That's what, yeah, there's a thumb screw. You yeah, turn the, that. The blade that screws in. in place. The blade yes. does not actually move up and down. Yeah, and, and I'm shocked. I, I got it tuned up, and now it's working pretty pretty well for me. And um, I have a, a smooth move associated with the sharpening of this blade <laughs> until I got it sharp. But for 20 bucks, and, you know, probably, all told, maybe two hours worth of work. Um, I have this really great spoke shave, and I'm. The truth is, I'm surprised that other manufacturers never kind of picked up on this design. It's it's like ingenious. Yeah, I think Kuntz makes one now. Um, I don't want to say it's not worth buying, but I wouldn't buy it. However, this one is really cool. Yeah, give that 
so there's a thumb Can, screw. I mean, that, do you have it like precisely set? It's set for a heavy, heavier than normal. Can I move cap, it? But yeah, yeah. So as you turn it, <gasps> not it, that far. <laughs> <laughs> it extends the blade, but it also pivots, and the throat opens. And then as yeah. you retract the blade, the throat tightens up. It's this right. bizarre kind of all-in-one mechanism. It is. It's and I I look at it and I can't. I mean, I can't figure it out. It's it's and you know all the mechanism is kind of hidden inside the body. It looks like, but um, it's really cool. So the blade I, is moving, not just the yeah, mouth. Well, yeah. you can feel no, it. the boat. They're both moving. Hmm. So what's really nifty about it um, is that you get it set up, um, and Bob Van Dyke has this, and he he gave me a five minute setup on it, uh, discussion on it or lesson rather, and. Um, you set it for basically get it set up for a medium cut, and it's so it's so nice. I mean, it's like instant. Whereas before, you're kind of if you have a wooden shave, you're tap tap tapping. If you've got a different kind of shave, you're still kind of trying to get that blade set. And often there are two two knobs, but um, it works really well. I'm super happy. And twenty bucks, I'm even more happy. Now, if only I could find those darn gouges. You've had them in your hand twice. I did. I did. I did. But I, I bought a spoke shave instead. And I'm, I'm not disappointed. I'm just, you know, waiting a little longer. <laughs> All right. Uh, we getting back to some questions? Sure. I sure. think we are. Uh, okay. This one comes from Randy. And, oh, this is, this is going to be good. I recently needed to route some circle cutouts. I made... I just lost my audio. Oh, came back. I made a circle template. I routed the first two circles with the template perfectly. On the last circle, the router bit caught just as I was finishing up, and as you can probably guess, some significant tear out resulted. Although I have some guesses on how this happened, I'm really not completely sure. Any good suggestions on how to avoid this in the future? It seems like it shouldn't happen since I started out in the right direction against the rotation of the bit. Do we ever find out what he's cutting no, holes and stuff for? We were, um, we were thinking what uh, uh, cornhole, cornhole, speaker or cabinet. speaker cabinets. Yeah. So, um, assuming this is we're cutting a circle, three circles though didn't three, yeah. any of those options. But. Um, and he didn't. He didn't say what could size. Be like the either. family outhouse. <laughs> it could be the <laughs> <a> three holer. <laughs> That's. Wow, <laughs> that got dark really fast. This is weird, man. <laughs> well, that's a different form of cornhole, maybe. <laughs> oh. All right, all right. So that's we should... all for this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what I. I mean, my thing was I, I'm not sure what what size he's he's doing, and well, um, but if it's okay, so if he's routing through solid wood. You're routing a circle. You are guaranteed to go against the grain yes. for a good portion of any yeah. circle. Yeah, you're Two gonna, out of four quarters. Yeah, you're going yes. uphill twice. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, that I would argue that if it's solid wood, there's no way of of routing a circle without either flipping the stock and the, the without flipping the stock. Right. Um, halfway through. Um, or if you're using a template, flipping the template and using a bottom mounted, you know, whether you're using a top mounted guide bearing or bottom mounted, 
you would have to flip the template or the stock at some point. Right. Either flip them. Yes. I mean, you're going to have to flip the stock. You can leave the template attached and change yeah. here, bearing mm-hmm. orientation Depends or remount. Yeah. I mean, you can get by if you say you jigsaw out really close to the line, like within a 16th of your routing line. And then you have a nice spiral cut, but you can do it. You can, yeah. It'll get yeah, done. Get a, get a nice, sharp new blade, uh, new bit. And I think, yeah. you know, that's one thing I would recommend right away. So my, my guess is that if you got two out of three good, then you're probably doing everything just about right. And my guess is that last time around, maybe there's a little bit more waste you were working with. Maybe there was the, some a gnarly piece of grain. But you're absolutely right. You definitely want to be going against the rotation of the bit no matter what. But depending on that grain, it's one of those things you're either going to get away with it or you're not. And so it sounds like two out of three times you get you away, got away with it. So that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, yeah, yeah, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Yeah. I might take those odds. Yeah, that's good meatloaf. And then uh, you can get uh, something called like a compression bit. Whiteside makes these bits, which are supposed to be um, really good for plywood because it gives you a clean cut top and bottom. Yeah, they're called compression bits, right? But they're also really good for getting away with going against the grain. Yeah. I use them for pretty much all of my pattern routing whenever I can get away with it. I, yeah, and Steve Lotta raves about them yeah. as well. I, I feel like from like reading this question over and over, I feel like he was he did not cut them out. He was using the router to cut out the, the, the circle. So you couldn't do that with a compression bit because they all have bearings. You, like you can't plunge down with a compression, right? Huh. So I don't know. Yeah. But we mentioned how you can do like a guide bushing with a template, yeah. route a portion of the way down, route your circle. <clears throat> Flip it. Cut, Let's... or you can just cut out then right to your, really close to your routed line and then use a bearing guided bit to ride that section yeah. you'd already routed. And so basically that pre-routed section now kind of acts like your template. Yeah. A great yeah. example of that is Scott Lewis's like, greatest cutting board of all time. Oh, the swervy cutting board. Yeah. Which you see quite a few of. Around. Yes, yes they, they, it's they funny have, how that happens. They, they have show spread. Um, but that's that awesome technique. That, that's the first time I had seen that go halfway through. And then, yeah, really smart. Are yeah, I've used that, that for other temp, not never for a circle, but for other but it routing. Yeah. But you would still have grain to contend with on the circle. You, yeah. you still have to pay attention to which direction you're routing against the grain. Yeah. Yes, but again, you know, the more you can sort of mitigate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a light cut, if you're really close to the line, I think, you know, and maybe you got to do a little cleanup work. Yeah, don't know. And why are you routing circles? That's what. That's the big question. Why Please, are we doing Randy, this? we want to. We want to know what you're doing. Three of them. Yeah, three. It was two. That's a set of cornhole bowls, boards, or a speaker cabinet. Speaker cabinet, or maybe it's a, a pet be, feeding, a pet feeding dish. You know the kind where you put, you insert the steel bowl like into the wood cutout. Maybe he's got three dogs, or you know, two dogs and a cat. Hmm. Let us know, Randy, because it's gonna tear us up inside if maybe we don't find out soon. And he's got a llama. Llama, 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 llama. Llamas need three bowls. I don't know if you knew that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Can't tell with you. All right, let's get to the next question. This one comes from Chris. And Chris says, I've noticed on some pieces I've built that the glue lines in the panels 
<clears throat> for example, the tabletops develop a, a subtle hair-thick ridgeline. I know it's from the glue creeping, but I was wondering what causes it and how to prevent it. Me too. Next. Um, it's happened on occasion. And the only thing I can think of is I think it has to do with the fact that your glue joint isn't quite as really, really flat and, and clean as it should be, or you're not using enough clamping pressure. I think there's just too much glue in, left between the boards to actually create a glue line itself as opposed to really uh, clean glue joint really smashed together with clamps. There's no line of glue there. I mean, that is just wood on wood. That's the only thing I can think of because it happens to me it used to happen to me more, and it happens a lot less, and I just think my techniques have maybe gotten better. It happened on my dining room table, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a burden for me. How, how thick? Three-quarter? Three, uh, the table? Tabletop, yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's about an inch. But, um, and in discussing it yesterday, I feel like maybe my... I mean, when, when the joints went together, dry... They were invisible, but I don't think I cleaned up my edge joints with a hand plane or anything like that. So maybe they weren't one hundred percent. Maybe they were ninety four percent, and that six percent is giving me that little just ridge line. Just yeah. to just run your I finger mean, we're thin. We're not talking sixteenth yeah. of an inch. I mean, you're it, talking you can barely feel it. Yeah, but I I sit there eating dinner and I just go, is that gonna pop open? Is that gonna <laughs> pop open? It feels like you can just take a, a really sharp scraper and just zip it off and not even hit the finish. Feels like it. <laughs> feels like it. Get some putty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just put some caulk in there. Caulk it. But um, do you hand plane your edge joints? Depends. No, if I can get away with it. And then if I have a really nice flat to slightly sprung joint with a little gap in the center. Um, and like the, the joiner we have in the shop, really big, long beds. You sort of know the secret stash of really sharp joiner knives. You should be sure to take them out before Shh, someone ben, gets their recycled ben's wood on that thing. not supposed to know that yet. And if you go nice and slow, I mean, that is just a mirror finish. But yeah. if you got some, you know, if you have like a beat six-inch joiner with dull blades and short beds, and you got like big, heavy scallops and boards that are not coming together with just hand pressure... Yeah, hand plane even, is, is probably a good. Thing even to not break a heavy out. scallop. I have a um, I have a six inch joiner. It's not as bad as Mike describes, but you know, I go by. I just if I run my I run my finger along it. Sometimes it's not readily visible, but if you I run my finger along, I can feel the waviness. And so I I usually do if I'm working at home and not I don't have the luxury of the big shop joiner here. I do dress it with a with a hand plane, but I don't spring the joint. Do you spring when you hand plane? Is that like a, a habit? I absolutely try not to have a high in the center. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll clamp one board in a vise, put the other one right on top. If I can kick one end of the top board and it sort of spins, I know that my high point is yeah. in the center. And I'll definitely take that out. That's, I like a little spring if I can get it. Yeah, I can do that on the joiner. I learned this from Bob Van Dyke. He did an article for us way back on that. And if you just 
put more pressure down as you're jointing the edge of a board toward the center and just lighten up, there's enough flex in the entire mechanics of joining where you can actually machine a, a very slight spring joint to your boards. No, it's not that easy. No. Yeah. Don't tell me that. Yes. It can. is. It's cake. Because I've always, like, the, the, the spring joint is, is very intriguing to me. Yes. I prefer the autumn joint, but, you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> at least Ben laughs at my jokes. Because <laughs> it's awkward if I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's like, I've just never had the guts to do it. But, but oh. you know, the funny thing is Mike, Mike mentioning that tip of spinning the board, that was in an article, right? Was that your article? Was that a... Bob Van Dyke article. I remember seeing a photo. I just did that on Instagram, quick little video. Oh, maybe that's what that was. Okay. But yeah, it's, you know, it's a really good way, especially if you're hand planing, because you could easily kind of mess up that surface yeah. a little bit if you're, if you're off, off balance or not perfectly flat. Yeah. Actually, I think I, I heard that trick from Rob Percaro way back. Okay. He's written some articles for us in yeah. the past. Wasn't he the drummer for Toto? No. no. That's uh, Jeff Percaro. That's Daryl Pert. No, that's, that's Rush. <laughs> 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 All right. I don't like it when they go off topic. Daryl Pert is a, is a phenomenal green and green furniture oh, maker who just happens to share the last name of the drummer in Rush. Yeah. So. Neil Pert. Yes. Sorry, Daryl, if you're listening, apologize. Not that Daryl that Daryl would listen to the <laughs> podcast. He has better things to do, but you know, I can fantasize. All right. Well, let's get on to uh, another segment. This one is smooth moves. Mike? I think we've already been through quite a few so far in this podcast. <laughs> podcast being one of them. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I was teaching a rocking chair class um, this last week. And one of the most important things to get right on the rocking chair is the shaping of the armrest. I mean, it's all about comfort. It's sort of the... You know, the most curves and most things happening going on. Um, and I like to get that shaping just right. So getting to the point of demonstrating how to shape the armrest was, for me, one of the, the key points of teaching the whole class. So um, I had my layout. I explained that. I, you know, talked about how the, the basic profile, the basic geometry of the joint, cutting an aris curve and having um, establishing a curve by cutting a main chamfer with the block plane and then hitting those points to, and I ended up with a really nice arm. It was nice. It was like in my wheelhouse and I felt pretty good about it. And then I went to put it, attach it onto the rest of the chair to see how it looks. And I had sort of shaped the entire thing upside down. So, yeah. It's my upside down. You didn't do chair. both of them upside down, right? So you could just flip flop them. And but. the problem is, okay, so there's a fair amount of shaping that went into this. However, it's attached to the rear leg with um, angled double tenons, oh, which there's no, there's no coming back. And it's attached to the front uh, leg <laughs> post with a through mortise and tenon, which the mortise had already been cut. There is like, nothing you could do to save that. Is that piece in your office? Um. Oh, that piece. That, yeah, that's the mistake. No. No. Okay. <laughs> I was, there's, there's a there's a piece in there with the double tenons on it. That's it. That was you know that's a blank for it. Um, <laughs> I was able to um, flip it upside down and make it the opposite arm because I hadn't shaped that one yet. Okay. And then I took that arm and flipped it upside down and made it this one. But wouldn't the tenons have angled in the wrong direction then? Um. I. Uh, 
I worked that out. Let's okay. Say. <laughs> <laughs> so, little, we're talking about problem solving and building yes. yourself into a corner. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Find your way out. Don't get in the corner, but if you do, get, know how to get out. Yeah. yeah. So punch your way out. Um, smooth moves are, are always, uh, especially sweet, in front of an audience. So. Who are paying to <laughs> take a class from you? It's a little value added. So all but. the rest are that. Yeah, you want to make sure you're, you know, you're you're checking your right side up over there. You know. <laughs> well, it's funny. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, back in, I think it was 2013 at Fine Woodworking Live. I was running a camera for for Chris Bexford, and he was doing, I think, his lifetime of of woodworking tricks or whatever. And he had this really cool. <clears throat> display cabinet that he used for for educational purposes and he was talking about um i think it was some a mortise the mortise and tenon joint or something and i i i pointed out to him hey chris is that you know he was explaining something about wood movement i said is that why you have a gap over here and he says a gap <laughs> and, and i said yeah there's a gap like right over here on the on the bottom and he says uh, no, that guy isn't supposed to be there. And thanks for pointing that out to everybody. I was like, oh. You got the camera trained on that. Like, no more questions from the camera operator. <laughs> but, but it was great. You know, everyone got to laugh. And I mean, the truth is woodworking, we're all human. And sometimes you, you goof and, you know, you kind of re roll with it. You rebound and going. move on. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Makes Mike human. He's not a machine. <laughs> I have enough of that going on as it is. <laughs> How about you, Ben? Do you have a, a smoothie? Um, so I'm making a toolbox. And uh, I was making it out of anything that was lying around the shop. There was some some uh, three-eighths inch birch plywood that uh, we got from our old shop manager. And, and it was all water stained and everything. So I was like, oh, I'll cut that piece it wasn't off. water. Huh? It wasn't Oh no! <laughs> but um, and and just some pine I had lying around. I think it was like cutoffs from some shiplap I did in my kids' room. You know, just everything I can find. And so I decided to paint it. And so I, I milk paint it, and uh, I do I do one coat, and I I'm rubbing it down with steel wool to get the nibs off and everything, and uh. I start putting the second coat on, and I notice there's some metallic speckles in the paint now. What's going on here? Why is why is there shimmers in this milk paint? Well, when I when I rubbed it down with steel wool, I didn't clean the work surface off, and this the the residue from the steel wool, the steel wool droppings, if you will, are are now getting embedded in my paint as I work around the piece, and it was like. All right. Well, that's the way that this toolbox is going to look, <laughs> and now it's, I'm just going to stick some stickers on it, and and that sounds like a finish line, man. <laughs> glitter yeah, milk speckled paint. milk glitter, paint. Glitter Does it show up paint. at the end? I would imagine that we yeah, just sort of get. It, no, it, it's. I mean, I could have put another coat on it, and it probably would have been fine. But I really, it's a toolbox. I just wanted to start loading it up with tools. So it is what it is. Wow, shiny, nice. There's, there's if I didn't point it out to you, you wouldn't know it, but. Speaking of the lumber you use in that, I remember a while back, I have some lumber still in the shop, and I had a, a cherry board with this incredible waterfall curl to it. It's just stunning. I've been saving it for years, and it's been in the shop, and Ben goes, like, Mike, are you going to do anything with that cherry? And I'd like, of course I wanted to hang on to it, but at the same time, it's like, 
ah, you know, I, I give it to Ben. He must have something really I special. To buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought you must have like this really special project, maybe, you know, a blanket chest or a small tabletop where this, the, he saw this chair and he was so stunned by it. Like, I have to use this. So I said, well, what are you going to use it for? And it's just wide enough. I'm just looking for a wide board. <laughs> It's like, yeah, no, sorry. It's not for sale. It, it, it is a magic-looking board. It really is. Well, if you, but, want to, and, if you want to buy lumber from Mike, you have to go through the, the adoption process. Yes, you know, Fill out the papers and you know, take the board home for a couple days and see if it gets along with the family. You know. I need to come by and check out your shop and your tools. and you know, How are you going to treat this board? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, my smooth move is related to my all-time favorite tool of all time for this week where I had um, gotten used to using a, uh, a jig for all my sharpening and uh, is it this, a Veritas Mark II? It's the Veritas Mark II. Okay. It's this. It's the set. It has the roll. It has the pinchies yeah. for the. Do you like that? Does it work well? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it does. It, it keeps the blade square. Wally Wilson. I'll take twenty dollars. No, um, but no. This spoke shave. Hey, look at that uh, blade. You know, it uh, it's small as everyone knows, and so I thought, well, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've freehand sharpening. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. And I thought I was having great success. It, you know, I got the back flat and polished, and, I, and I'm working the, the bevel, the, the secondary bevel. And it looked good on, you know, with my bad eyesight. <laughs> it looked like a nice polish. And I put it in the tool, and it just wouldn't cut. It just was like, and then I realized, well, I think what happened is it, when my freelance technique was not perfect. And uh, I think I wound up rounding over the secondary bevel more than polished, anything else. It was polished, just round. It was polished round. <laughs> I made a nice little, uh, you know, like a, a round dowel almost. So I went out and I bought. Um, <laughs> I bought and it a, continues, <laughs> folks. I bought a a, 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 a jig. Veritas. I bought a jig. I wasn't going to say Veritas, Veritas. I bought a twenty dollar jig for holding small parts, and I I used that, Maybe and I was able to actually put it in the honing guide. But the smooth move about rounding the tip. Um, actually got bested after I got the blade honed. Um, I put it into the, the shave, got it all set up, and I started trying to take a cut, and the darn thing wouldn't cut. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? Now, now I'm like completely befuddled. And then I realized I put the blade in upside down. So my smooth, my second smooth move punked my first one, and so that's, you know, you got a twofer. Well, and that's a thin blade. Freehanding that blade would be short. Yeah. It's thin and short, so well, there's not going to be much. I thought I had it, man. I thought I had it. Yeah. You know, I even you know was scraping, uh, in an, in an effort to keep it you know the same angle every time. I was scraping the the flesh off my thumbs on the on the stone, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. The, the, you know, double smooth move. Think we have time for another question? Feels like we're running long. Jeff. All right. Question number five. This one comes from Eric. And Eric says, I was hoping you guys had some tips or tricks for assembling a tight box joint. As it stands with no glue, I can work it together with a bit of force and it will eventually fit. I am concerned that when I add glue, it is going to lock up and brute force could damage it. Uh, I'm hesitant to put any sandpaper on it as the joint is tight with no gaps. Um, was thinking maybe the oven to pull some extra moisture out of the wood, but worried that this might warp the rest of it. 
Yeah, let's stay away from the oven. <laughs> that will work. <laughs> turn, turn the oven off, Eric. Walk away. <laughs> so, I mean, the oven, you're basically, if you shrink the whole thing, the little pins get narrower, but the gaps between the pins get narrower to the same degree. So I think my guess is that if it's, oh, wow. if it's tight with a lot of moisture, it's still going to be tight with yeah. less. I'm going to go there. Yeah, so it's just a bad idea. Okay. Um, well, the good news, if you can get it together without glue... You should be good. Um, I've heard that, and I don't use this a lot, but a lot of people say one of the advantages of using liquid high glue is that it's really slippery, mm -hmm. and it doesn't swell the joint or lock it in the same way that yellow glue does. So um, if pick up some high glue. That's probably going to do the trick for you, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that about liquid high glue. Yeah, it doesn't open time, blah blah blah. And as long as you're not like Matt and you use, you know, fresh hide glue, you should be fine. Matt, who? Kenneth, Doctor Kenny. <laughs> All right. Um, you can use epoxy too, right? Doesn't epoxy kind of have that? It's same? pretty slippery. I would yeah. say so. Polyurethane yeah. is also uh, oh, yeah. slippery, but you have to. You know, That's we, true. we did, uh, Craig Thibodeau did an article on using it and had some great tips, but you know, if, if you use too much, you're, you're going to wind That's up. That's right. And it doesn't introduce water into yeah. the joint or something. Yeah. And like he that. uses it for the reasons that it's slippery and it doesn't expand. So he's like banging, banging joints together quickly and no, he doesn't get the foam out cause he knows how to use it. Don't, okay. So I know that some people when they use polyurethane glue, they actually moisten one side of it, right? Because the water <clears throat> helps the polyurethane glue cure. So he just does straight on, no water, no. No, he does something. Uh, he did something, and I don't remember what it was. Okay, but so I don't want to. I don't want to comment on that right now. Okay, I would prefer not. To. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask Craig or or check out the article. Yeah. Um, but I do remember it. something being moist, moistened. Yeah, and the main, I mean, with the, the fit of a finger joint, you dial it in when you're cutting it, and you do your yeah. test joints, yeah. and then whatever you have is what you have. I'm assuming they're like, you know, quarter-inch finger joint, or I've even done eighth-inch single blade with finger joints, and those little tiny guys, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But um, Yeah, test pieces with finger joints are... I, I remember making a finger joint jig and, like, thinking I was going to lock it down, and... And have it forever. And like three <laughs> yeah. weeks or three months later, I was going to come back and be able to just throw it on there. I even had like the shims for my dado stack marked. Oh. It was this one that went with it. <laughs> Didn't do any test cuts and it was like, gone. No, not going to work. Yeah. I mean, you really have to test them every single time, I think. Yes. One of those things. You're yeah. right. Just, so. yeah. I have nothing to add. Okay. I don't really use box joints. Lots of dogs. Too many fingers. <laughs> I couldn't imagine, you know, putting something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've had enough time getting the dovetails to line up. Um, all right. Let's get to some listener comments. This is from Wannabe a Woodworker. And he, he or she says, couldn't disagree with Tom Fink more. I just wish the podcast was weekly. It's the best part of my commute home every other Friday. Thanks and keep up the good work. And... Who is Tom Fink? I went digging, trying to figure out who Tom Fink was. Because <laughs> I was like, somebody's bad-mouthing us. And I have no idea who Tom Fink is. Google it. Yep. Have to Google. I did. We're going to find this Tom Fink and track down his words. Uh, the next one comes uh, from Ren. 
and says, I have been a loyal and faithful listener since this podcast began. It has a great balance of humor and woodworking information. I particularly enjoy the fact that there is often disagreement among the panelists, albeit good-natured, as to their techniques and approaches. Oh, Ben. Ben has been a particularly good addition to the group. How did this one get in there? I don't know how that... uh, We should have edited this next next time. I agree with that, Ben. Thank you. You Ben's been a good addition. Yes, absolutely. From time to time. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're going to do something new. Uh, this is good. We're, this is risky. Every time we try something new, some well, not every time. Sometimes it falls flat. Uh, we are going to recommend something, anything, for our listeners and viewers to check out. Quick recommendation. So quick, quick, Ben, come on. Uh, Instagram account Evan Court. Um, his account is Court Evan with an A, and uh, making some incredible stuff. Uh, he. Shares a shop space with Matt Wada, and um, he's North Bend Street student, and I think like Maine College of Art or something like that. But he's incredible, incredible account. I love it. Mm. He blows uh-huh. me away once a day. All right, enough, Mike. <laughs> um, I've been watching, rewatching Band of Brothers on HBO. Oh, yeah. I bought H or signed up for HBO to watch the current. Uh, season of Game of Thrones. That's over. So I've been looking around. Band of Brothers holds up really well. Oh, yeah. Executive produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Good stuff. Yep. I, I watched that over Veterans Day weekend. Oh, I, cool. I streamed it. Yeah, good. I, I can move on. Um, check out Amazon Prime if you're not already a member. It's awesome. It's 100 bucks a year. You get free shipping. Um, I had gone to a, a Woodcraft store to buy a one and a half inch <clears throat> diameter Forstner bit, and it was like 30 bucks. I bought it on Amazon Prime for half that, and I got free shipping. And you also get free access to Amazon Prime Music where you can stream stuff. And I've been you know, jamming on 70s and 80s albums in, in the shop and out of. So, all right. Amazon Prime. Veritas Prime. <laughs> all right, that's it for this episode of Shop Talk Live. And don't forget to head on over to tauntonstore.com and use the discount code SHOPTALK to get 20% off your purchase. Please spread the word about Shop Talk Live to your woodworking friends and neighbors. Shop Talk Live is dependent on your questions, so make sure to send them in to shoptalk at taunton.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. And finally, you can keep up with Fine Woodworking on Instagram and on Facebook and look for all of us on Instagram as well. Thanks for listening and have fun in the shop. You already said you're supposed to Hmm? You already said your spokesman. No, it's, it's, this is. I just got this today. Tom just brought this in. It's got nothing to do with my favorite tool. I'm just keeping it around. <laughs> I just don't want to be very far from it right now. Don't be milking the spoke shave. Veritas Mark II Honing Guide. 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 It, yeah, it's got the Veritas tool. Veritas that the Mark II well the Mark II comes with a uh, <laughs> a roller that allows you to camper the blade. Veritas Mark II honing guide. Ronnie Wilson's on the line. Veritas Mark II honing guide. Brought to you by Veritas. Is it a is it a, is it a Veritas Mark II? It is a Veritas Mark II. Veritas. I just lost my audio. Oh, came back. Wally Wally Wilson. Wally Wally Wilson. 
I wasn't going to say Veritas, Veritas Prime.